But as, the, as Jesus was entering in to Jerusalem, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And uh, does anybody know what Hosanna means? God save us, or God saves, right? And so um, that's what they were saying. But they're also praise. It's also a praise, like praise to God. He's the the one who saves us. So we're gonna sing a song called um, "We Sing Hosanna" as a kind of an opening to Palm Sunday. Let's all stand together.
Psalms tells us that uh, David longed to be in the presence of God, to see the beauty of his majesty and his glory. I don't think we can even quite imagine how beautiful God is.
Good morning and welcome to Harvest Community Church. We really appreciate your presence here this morning. Can you join me by greeting your neighbors? Well, again, good morning, and we are entering the Holy Week. And it's a special time of really celebrating the story of Jesus Christ and, and what it means to all of us. And so for us as, as a church, we have some events coming up. I want to start with the bulletin that we have in your, in your program, and I think the purpose of the bulletin is so that if you come upon someone or a friend that 
uh, I was looking for a way to, to reflect on Jesus this, this week. Uh, we have a couple great events, especially next week, Sunday, but starting with uh, Good Friday, Friday, March 25th at University Community Park, uh, we'll be having a Good, good Friday service at 7 o'clock, and uh, child care will be provided, but if you need child care, please RSVP so we could get a head count on that. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we really look forward to that. After church, we have an Easter egg hunt for the kids. We're still collecting donations for that Easter egg hunt, uh, little stickers, a wrap candy, and those type of things that are good for Easter egg hunts. So uh, if you have that kind of stuff you want to participate, please do bring it because we're still taking collections for that. And then also for the lunch, afterward, uh, as part of the lunch, there's a dessert. And I don't know if any of you saw the RSVP that went out in your email, but uh, uh, we're asking for people to volunteer for dessert. So we're still looking for a few more volunteers uh, for the dessert for the luncheon as well. So if you're inclined to bring dessert on Sunday, uh, please RSVP by Tuesday. Again, and if you don't have, the, have that e-bite in your email box, just contact the leaders, contact me. We'll, we'll figure out a way to let people know that you're going to bring dessert. So thank you for that. Uh, for a special announcement today, I'm going to ask Jeff to come up and talk about Families Forward. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with Family Forward. It's a uh, nonprofit community assistance program that helps uh, out the need, needy in the city. Uh, Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th, and I'm sure Pastor Wentz is here on Saturday, Sunday, April 10th, so it's those two days. Uh, they're going to be holding a food drive, as I said. Unfortunately, our food pantry becomes a little bit uh, limited and sinks a little bit low in the uh, spring and summertime. So what they're asking for is uh, for Harvest, other churches and organizations throughout the city, to volunteer their, uh, a two-hour uh, shift to sit outside a local food store. The two-hourly shifts are from 9 to 11, 11 to 1, and 1 to 3 on Saturday, April 9th. Uh, they'll be, uh, we'll be sitting, staying at stores relatively low, uh, local to our church. There will also be signs and more information in the foyer after service. And once again, uh, let's show Harvest that, uh, or let's show families forward that Harvest can come together and help them out. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, just going down the list of announcements, the Seniors Bible Study Group will be meeting on the first and third Thursdays of each uh, month, beginning April 21st. Join us at Prayer Circle on Wednesday, April 6th, 8 to 9 at the Liao's House. Uh, the park will be watching God's Not Dead, Part 2, on Saturday, April 2nd at 4 o'clock. And save the date for the next couple of gardens, Friday, April 8th, 6.30 to 9.30 at Deerfield Community Park. And last, but certainly not least, uh, I, I know a lot of you know that the Harmons have been uh, spearheading this project called P70, where they're reaching out to international students at the local campuses around here. Just, if you're looking for an opportunity to, be, to get into ministry that's really local, very easy, this is a great opportunity uh, of where they're reaching out to international students that are going to go back to the country. That's just the, this multiplier effect of a way uh, to, to share Jesus with other people. So if you have any interest in that, uh, Trey and Tanya would love to hear from you, and, and Trey's email is listed on your program there. Well, it is the Holy Week, and there's no better place to start than getting into Scripture. And for this morning's Scripture, we have a special reading. It's from Mark chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sinaian made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things, so again Pilate asked him, 
Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom of the festival to release a prisoner from whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurgent who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him! They shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to them to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. This is the Praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns on him. They began to call out to him, Hail the King of Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spell. Finally, failing on their knee, <coughs> falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see how, what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Those who, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. We saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus 
saw who he died, he said, Surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Solomon. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him from Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, this, that is, the day before Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. May, May God bless the readers and doers of his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you. On this holy week, there's nothing more important that any of us could do than to think about what the Bible says about Jesus. As we've heard the scriptures, we've heard the truth. As we've heard the scriptures, we've heard God's word. As we've heard the scriptures, we've seen the courage of Jesus to walk into the darkest, the very darkest of days, to be our Lord and to be our Savior. It is of extreme importance for each one of us that we think carefully about what God's word says and so importantly to look into Jesus and see who he is. We all are afraid of the dark. Our children are afraid of the dark. And we are afraid of things of darkness. Jesus came into the world as the light of life to extinguish the darkness with his light. Jesus was not afraid of the dark. And if we have Jesus with us, we don't need to be afraid either. So this morning, as we look into God's word, we'll be looking carefully at scripture and mostly at scripture this morning. And so I encourage you to pay attention, to think about what it says, to pay special attention to Jesus and how he lives through these events and how he dies. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into these scriptures, we pray that by your spirit you would help us to understand the depth of your love and the greatness of your power. 
Help us, Father, to be honest, too, of the places in our life where there is darkness, where there may be the fear of darkness, the fear of circumstances, the fear of problems, the fear of others, the fear of the unknown. Help us to know that you are with us. And because you are with us, we do not need to be afraid. Help us, Lord, to see how you faced death, how you faced pain, how you faced hatred, and how you did it all in grace. Help us to see you better, Lord. Help us to hear clearly your word. We ask in your name, in Jesus. Amen. We'll see five scenes this morning from God's word in Mark chapter 15. And in each one, we see Jesus doing something for his disciples. We see Jesus doing something that affects us. And the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 14 is that Jesus faced injustice. Jesus faced injustice, and he did it to free those who are unjust. Oftentimes when we want justice, we want the unjust to be punished. Jesus had a different plan that we read about in verses 1 through 14. So let me read again these scriptures and you can follow along. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas, was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. It's early Friday morning. Jesus has already been arrested. He's already been beaten. He is now brought before Pilate, the governor of that region. The Sanhedrin was the supreme judicial and administrative council of the Jews. And they had a plan. They believed Jesus had blasphemed God. And for that, they believed Jesus should die. But because they were under Roman authority, they didn't have the authority to kill anybody. Only Rome had that authority. So they came up with a plan. They said, well, we can't say that Jesus blasphemed God because that means nothing to the Romans. That means nothing to Pilate. And in fact, Pilate didn't even care about the Jews. 
But if they said Jesus was trying to be part of the insurrection, if Jesus was like one of the zealots who was trying to overthrow Rome, if Jesus claimed to be a king in the place of Caesar, then and there Jesus might be condemned to die. And so that was their plan. And they brought him before Pilate. And Jesus remained silent. Why would Jesus remain silent? He was being accused of sin. But he had no sin. He had nothing to confess. The times that we see Jesus speak in the scriptures this week are times when he is asked about his deity, though those who ask it don't realize it. And so in this case, Pilate asked him, so are you the king of the Jews? Pilate didn't believe that. Pilate said it in derision. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they didn't believe that. They used it to try to accuse Jesus so he could be crucified. But Jesus knew it was true. And so Jesus solemnly says, you have said so. Yes, it is true. But not as Pilate understood it, but only as it is with God. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our savior and to be our God. Jesus Christ came into the world as perfect man and he lived the life as perfect God. He committed no crime and he committed no sin. And yet he was accused. And Pilate knew he was innocent. And so he tried to have Jesus released. And there was that custom where the people could ask for somebody to be released at this time of the year. Pilate thought for sure the people would want Jesus to be released, but the people were riled up by the chief priests. And they cried for Jesus to be crucified. And they cried for Barabbas, an insurrectionist. It says that he had been part of a murder. And they wanted him released instead. And so the unjust one, Barabbas, would be released. While the one who was just would be condemned. And so this is how we see that Jesus faced injustice. To free the unjust, in this case, Barabbas. But in our case, you and I, we are Barabbas. We are guilty. We deserve sin. We deserve death. We are unjust. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. Jesus faced injustice to free the unjust. I want to encourage you this week to review these scriptures, and there's some thought questions there for you that we don't have a lot of time now for you to think about. But I encourage you to spend some time as you read these scriptures to think about the questions that are included on your outline. And the two for this portion of scripture are these. What injustices have I done that need forgiveness 
and repentance. And what injustice done to me can I forgive as Jesus has forgiven me? We go on in the scriptures and we read in verses 15 through 20 that Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Look at this scene. Look at what is being done to Jesus. He's being whipped. He's being flogged. This was a leather whip. And at the end of the leather whip, it was torn into different pieces. And then tied to the end of them would be pieces of shards of glass and broken metal. And Jesus would have been whipped like this over and over and over again. He was flogged like that. And then after that, these soldiers put a purple robe on him. And you've probably all seen Roman centurions in pictures. And they have those robes behind them. They're cloaks. And so this was probably one of those purple cloaks that one of them had taken off and thrown over Jesus in derision. And then they made a crown of thorns and they pushed it on his head. And then they mocked him and, and they called out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they fell down and they pretended to pay homage to him and they struck him on the head again. And pain and blood poured out. And then they got to the end of their evil parade, and they ripped off that purple robe, and by then it would have begun to already congeal and to, to harden. It's like, it's like tearing off a bandage all over his back. And then they put his own clothes on him. Jesus bore all of this. Jesus scorned all shame. Jesus scorned all shame and all mockery. And the word scorn means he disregarded it. He didn't pay attention to the shame or to the mockery and react to it. But he took it on himself. He took my shame. The things that I'm so ashamed of. The things that I deserve death for. He took the times that I've mocked him by the way that I lived, by the sins that I've chosen by the hypocrisy that I've lived, pretending to be a Christian and living like the world, saying that I believe in Jesus, but being a liar, a cheat, a thief. God took that for me. Jesus took that for you. No matter what you're ashamed of, you don't have to be. No matter where you failed Jesus or mocked him, he still loves you. He cares about you. 
And he wants you more than anything else to know he did this for you. And he wants you to be able to look at him. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, but it's, it's a bloody movie. It's a painful movie to watch from beginning to almost the very end. And it's hard to look at what Jesus went through. But Jesus wants us to look at him. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He scorned the shame. He scorned the mockery. And he won. He forgave our shame. He took our pain. And so here then is a question for you to think about. No matter what pain or shame I face, how can and will I focus my faith on Jesus? We take what we are and we bring it before him. And we look at him. And we see that he's taken away our sin, our shame, our mockery. Thirdly, Jesus did not save himself so he could save me. Jesus did not save himself so he could save me. Verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe those crucified with him. Also, heap insults on him. Not one good word. Not one voice of encouragement. Not even a whisper. Muffled within the crowd would have been the tears of his genuine followers, of his mother, and of other women, and of John. Jesus was on the cross, and he was crucified. And the mockery wasn't enough in the parade by the soldiers. The priests and the people had to come up to him on the cross. 
and they had to insult him even more. The cross is the most evil, the most painful, the most despicable and terrorizing of ways that someone could die. And yet, Mark, in fact, all of the gospel writers show tremendous restraint, but also tremendous respect for Jesus. They don't describe everything that happened on the cross, but they tell us what happened around the cross and how he was crucified. And the Bible tells us that this was going to happen to Jesus in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that the Messiah would die, that the suffering servant would be the Messiah, and that he would give his life for those who had sinned. The Bible tells us that when Jesus would be on the cross, that it would be indeed a painful death, and it would be a bloody death. We see here that when Jesus was on the cross, they tried to offer him some wine mixed with myrrh. That would have been a painkiller a type of anesthetic that might have soothed some of the pain, but Jesus refused it. He did not take it. He chose to feel everything about our suffering. He chose to experience everything that you and I would have deserved. He chose to experience all of the pain and to feel it to the very, very end so that we would know that he'd taken care of everything for our forgiveness. It would have been a bloody death. Jesus' blood would have been poured out. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice for sins was the blood of a lamb. And in Leviticus chapter 17, 11, we read these words. For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. We are washed white and clean in the red blood of Jesus. We are purified of our sins because this is what makes us right with God because our lives were exchanged for his. We deserve to die, but he died in our place. And because he did this, and because he was perfect, his sacrifice was righteous, and therefore making us right. And his blood was spilt so that the sins within us would be purified, and we could continue to live and to live in him. How powerful is this blood? How necessary is this blood? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The Lamb God was sacrificed for our sins. Though he was sinless, his precious blood paid the price so that you and I could be forgiven. He did not save himself so he could save us. And he didn't do it 
as one who was a slave. He didn't do it as one who was under the power of the Jewish authorities. He didn't do it as one who was under the the power of Rome. He did it as the king of kings. He did it not losing, but by winning. For not only was his death a bloody death, it was also a conquering death. Because even as he hung on the cross, he was the king In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we read about this and of the king's power. And it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was a triumph. The world looked on it as if Jesus had been destroyed. But instead, Jesus was the victor, the winner, the king who conquers. He did not save himself. And that's why it is true. Even what the people said, though they didn't understand it. Yes, he did save others. But had he saved himself on the cross, you and I would not have that opportunity. So he chose not to. So that he could save us. He died so that we could live. We live and don't need to fear to die. In Luke chapter 23, verse 41, one of the thieves changed his mind. In Mark, we read that those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So at first, these two thieves, one on the left and one on the right, they joined the insults. But one of them, was convicted by the Holy Spirit. One of them began to realize that Jesus was someone different. And he also began to recognize the depth of his own sin and how he had done what was deserving of death. But when he looked at Jesus by the power of God, he understood that Jesus didn't deserve to die. And so Luke tells us that that thief changed his mind And said this, we are punished justly. For he is now speaking to the other thief who's still cursing Jesus. But this other thief now who has repented and is turning to Jesus says, we are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But but this man, there's nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise. What hope. That dying on the cross, this thief had assurance of his salvation. That even that day he would be with Jesus in paradise. Jesus did this and did not save himself so he could save that thief. Jesus did this, not saving himself so he could save you and me. And so these questions that we can think about are these. Have I confessed my sinfulness to Jesus, asking him for grace and forgiveness? That might be the most important question you'll ever be asked. So let me read it again. Have I confessed 
my sinfulness to Jesus, asking him for grace and forgiveness. The most important question, because it's a question of life or death, not graded on a curve, is either absolutely yes or definitely no. Have you? Have you confessed your sin to Jesus, acknowledging that you need him, knowing that he will forgive you? Have you asked him into your life to give you grace and to forgive everything that you've done that's been wrong, that he might live in your life? You'll have that opportunity in just a few minutes. But if you have said that, and you have asked Jesus into your life, then this question, how then should I speak, act, live, and sacrifice for the one who has saved me? If we are Christians, then this is the question we need to live out. How do I speak? How do I act? How do I live? How do I sacrifice for Jesus who died for me? Jesus accepted and destroyed all of sin's power. So we see him on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understood the darkness. Jesus understood the power of death, and he felt it in the deep agony within his soul. He was experiencing the wrath of God and he felt as if he had been forsaken of God for all of eternity. He had had communion with God. And now for a moment he bore all of the sins here in this room and all of the sins here in Irvine and all of the sins here in California, which are very, very many, and all of the sins in the United States and all of the sins in North America and all the sins in all the continents and all the world Today, and since the creation of the world, and until he returns, he accepted them all. And he felt it. But he had faith. Because he says, my God, my God, And as people watched, some lives were changed. And the Bible tells us that there was a centurion standing there who had seen everything that Jesus had gone through. He had seen the scourging. He had seen the mocking. He had seen the spitting. He had seen the way Jesus had been crucified and the insults that continued. And he watched Jesus die. And he too was convicted like that thief on the cross. And the words out of his mouth as Jesus was dying was, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion observed everything about Jesus. And we too should be like that. And so here are the questions for us. Like the centurion, what do I see in the scenes of Jesus' passion in Mark 15? When you look at Mark 15 this week, what do you see in Jesus? 
What do you notice about him? What do you hear him saying to you? What offers of peace and love and hope is he giving? And then how will I respond to what I see? Can I accept what Jesus gave me? Can I let him destroy sin in my life? He'll do it. Lastly, Jesus faced the darkness of the grave. He faced the darkness of the grave. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Jesus died. He died on the cross. And then he was taken down by his friends and by his mother. And they wrapped him in some linen shrouds. And they carried him to a tomb. And they put him in the tomb, knowing that he was dead. And they put a rock over the face of the tomb. Jesus was certainly buried. And what Paul tells us about this is extremely important. In fact, Paul says of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And this is where we pause now for six days between now and Easter. And we can pause and we can know that Jesus is buried. And he understands silence. And he understands waiting. We should not hurry too quickly to Easter Sunday. I hope you will join us on Friday for the Good Friday service as we again understand and better relive the reality of what Jesus went through for us and what it means for him to have died because this is so important for us, because Paul says it's of first importance that Christ died for our sins, and according to the scriptures, he was buried. And we need hope. And so I hope that you will be here next Sunday, for Easter Sunday. I hope that you invite your friends who need to hear of the hope of the resurrected Lord. But now, we need to understand of our buried Lord. So what darkness, what darkness did he experience? laying dead in that grave. And for us, the questions are, what darkness, confusion, pain, sorrow, loss, or sinfulness within yourself do I want to be buried with Jesus? 
what darkness, confusion, pain, sorrow, loss, or sinfulness within myself do I want to be buried with Jesus? Maybe this week you could sit quietly, maybe in a darkened room, and talk to Jesus about what you are feeling. Talk to him about what his death means to you. Talk to him about your darkest day. Talk to him as one who hears you. And so we return now to the most important question. Have I confessed my sinfulness to Jesus, asking him for grace and forgiveness? If you have not, then you can do that now. In your own words, but your own words may say something like this, Lord Jesus, I believe, even just a little bit, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Thank you for doing that. I know I deserve to be on that cross, but you forgive me. Lord Jesus, I accept your forgiveness and I commit to you my life to follow you as a believer now and forever. I commit my life to you. And so if that is your prayer as we pray now, please come to the Lord Jesus. And if you've already come to the Lord Jesus, then may this week be a reminder to you and to me, and to us, of the life that was paid, of the price that was given for you to have life, and how you then can live that life for him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your word, the most powerful words in history, to show us who you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I pray for anyone here who wants to be certain that they have Jesus in their life, to be able to say, even right now, say this, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying the price for my sin. I know I deserve to be on that cross. Thank you for forgiving me. Lord Jesus, please do forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and make me whole. I surrender my life to you. If you said that prayer just now, would you just raise your hand and let me know? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else who wants Jesus in their life? Thank you. Anyone else?
for those who raised their hands, I want to encourage you just to write on your welcome card what, what that meant to you. What did it mean to you this morning to pray that prayer? Let me know so I can continue to pray for you. And I encourage all of us this week to know the love of Christ as he died on the cross for you. Amen. Filled out the welcome card, you can just drop it in the bag as it's coming by. And uh, this is our time to worship the Lord.
Receive this as from the Lord himself to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? amen. And amen. God bless your holy week.